Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by Skip Daly and Eric Hansen, writers of the book Rush, Wandering the Fates of the Earth, the Official Turing History, 1968 to 2015. Hey, thanks for having us on. Let's go Beyond the Mic. Gentlemen, both have been experts of the band Rush for more than 30 years. What makes them so special for you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Eric and I have both been fans since kind of the high school years. I know that's when I got into them. And for me at the time, and ever since, really, it's just been about the core differences of the band in the sense that they wrote really intelligent lyrics, and it was great music, and they seemed to just kind of go their own way. I think Gene Simmons says it in the documentary about them. There really is no other band like them. They just are their own thing. What do you think, Eric? Tag on to what Skip was just saying. What makes them really unique is that unlike other bands that you might just kind of follow along and enjoy their music, they're just unique individuals. They're interesting individuals. You know, they're actual human beings. They're not just, it's not just the music. So as you learn more and more about them, there's actually more and more that you enjoy about these people as real, honest human beings that actually care about the world around them and, and their fans. What was your first concert listening to Rush Live? Yeah, both of us, the Presto Tour, as a matter of fact. Skip's two years younger than I am, I believe, or a year and a half. My first tour was the Presto Tour. It's one that uh, I'll never forget. I regretted the fact that I didn't get into them younger as a younger teenager because you know, by that time I was in my late teens and I had missed a couple of tours. Yeah, and it, it was the same for me. It was the Presto Tour here at the old Capitol Center in Maryland, which is no more. And, you know, I've made a point to catch every tour since then. It's funny what Eric says about having missed the earlier tours. I mean, there was a t-shirt once that said, you might be younger than me, but I got to see all the cool bands. You know, I do always wish that I'd been able to um, to see some of the, the shows before the one I got to. The ticket stubs, the photos, the newspaper clippings with show reviews. As you started the nearly decade-long process to put this together, was there ever a moment where the rabbit hole just seemed way too big? Yeah, the whole time, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it was it was very daunting, and I don't think you go into a project like this with a real accurate sense of what it actually is. You know, I, I think it was just putting one step in front of the other, starting with starting to do it and just get it down. And then once you kind of had that first iteration of it, it was literally then years and years of just taking additional passes through and flushing out where you found something you'd missed before and adding stuff in. It, it really is never ending. You know, there was literally a particular tour date that just came to light from like 1977 this past summer. And we just missed getting it in because it was just, you know, our, our production date for the publication was coming up. So it'll be in a second production, but it's never ending. I mean, there's always additional information coming to light. You could literally just do this forever and keep finding stuff. And I, I might add that the uh, the band themselves keep records of the early days because, you know, nobody ever plans to be in a band for 40 years. The early days was by far the hardest information for us to, to dig up, so to speak. You know, the later years were very well documented early dates, really, especially the first five years of their existence. There was little to no existence of hardcore newspaper clippings or hard records of those shows. So that took the most Yeah, yeah and it's, it's probably worth adding. I mean, you know, the, the, the marketing materials surrounding our book, as proud of it as we are, you know, I don't think either Eric or I would ever make the claim that this book literally contains every single tour date, particularly from those early years that he alludes to. I mean, when they were a band playing high schools around northern Ontario or bars in, in Ontario before um, they got signed and really started touring for real. I mean, a lot of that stuff, I think, truly is just lost to the mist of time. And we did our best. 
through a lot of research to flesh out as much as we could. And I believe that we're presenting more information than has ever come to light before, certainly all in one place. But I, I don't think anybody would be so bold as to make the claim that there is every single show documented in here. Um, we're proud of it, and I think we did really well with it, but there's just so much, so much there. Skip Daly, Eric Hansen, writers of the book Rush, Wondering the Face of the Earth, the official Turing history, 1968 to 2015, joins us beyond the mic. Would you consider this the definitive journal of Rush during those years? I like to think so. I know that, uh, let's just put it this way, I think that the final draft was 800 pages long. The actual book is 472 pages long, so there was more uh, available that made it in that book. We literally put everything into it that we could. Just going to add, it's, it's an interesting process being edited. I mean, it definitely is uh, a challenging thing. And as Eric said, by necessity, the reality of it is some stuff has to stay on the cutting room floor. But yeah, we, we crammed everything in that we could. There's so many interesting moments in the book from when the band walked into a venue mimicking barnyard animals to the time in Sweden where somebody naked from the audience comes running on the stage and poses like the 2112 naked guy. What's both of your favorite stories? Go ahead, Skip. Oh, uh, God. You know, there's, there's so many, and it, it's it's interesting kind of going back to this now that we actually have this thing that we can hold in our hands and look through after having worked on it for so long. There's so much stuff in there. It, it's hard to pick one or two. I remember the ones that, that you just alluded to, and yeah, there's crazy stuff that went on on the road. Some of the stories from the crew that we got I particularly laugh at and uh, enjoy those guys that we interviewed, you know, several of which uh, I would now count as friends. There's a story from like the Hemisphere story, I think it is, from around 1979 when Ian Grandy, who was one of their first roadies, tells a great story about the crew. And, you know, the band seems like they were pretty level-headed and didn't overindulge. But some of the crew guys, you know, these guys are out there as roadies on the road with a rock band. And there's a great story about them flying from Chicago to, I think, Salt Lake City. And just craziness on the airplane. Uh, I'll let people read that story for themselves, but that, that's one that just always made me smile. We also have some, uh, you know, you alluded to the naked, the naked guy. I think you're saying the naked guy got on the stage talking about some of the recent tours when they would show the star man and, uh, they'd have special guests that would come up and do the laundry. Jack Black himself came up on stage, started stripping off his clothes and struck the 2112 star man pose on stage in, in, uh, at the show in LA. Some other great stories we have is, uh, they happen to be playing the same city as the Blue Man group had been in the day before. So in that particular city, it was, I believe it was in Germany, but, um, not positive on that. But in that particular show, the Blue Man group came up on stage and did the laundry. So they always had special guests throughout that tour dropping up on stage and, and doing their laundry. We tried to document as much of that as we could. My two favorite stories are from the time they put the mic on the vacuum yes, and the story of the band heading back and forth from Texas for shows with Dallas, San Antonio, and Fort Worth so they could attend the launching of the first Space Shuttle Columbia. Yes, 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 which then inspired the some countdown and also signals, yeah. No, that, so yeah, that was during the, uh, that was during the, uh, the tour, the exit stage left tour when they were uh, touring back and forth. They, they flew out, they pick up, they were in Texas, they, they flew out early in the morning for Florida. The original launch was scrubbed, and then they went back out the next day and caught that final launch. A lot of back and forth between Texas and Florida those couple of days. When the project seemed to come near its completion, what did Getty and the other members of the band think of the final work? 
Well, we, we, we actually haven't interacted directly with the band. We've, we've interacted with um, their management team and the crew guys. But, you know, the band is retired now, and they've earned their rest, and they've they left it all on, on the ice, as they say, or all on the stage. And uh, they're off living their lives as they should do. Their management team was very supportive of the project, and obviously the band had to sign off on it. But, you know, we, we were not fortunate enough to actually interview them directly, and we certainly have not been fortunate enough to present the final work to them. That being said, I, I would like to think that they're pleased with what came out. I know the management team is. And, you know, Eric and I are going to be traveling up to Toronto um, next weekend for a launch event. And we've got, you know, we're going to be connecting with a few of the guys that, that we interviewed for the book, you know, spending some time with them after the launch event. And I, I very much look forward to getting their reaction and presenting the book to them. And there, there is a certain degree of pride in that, just feeling that what we created together is, is good. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm proud of it. You know, it's as much the cruise journey as, as the bands, too. I mean, these guys were all out there on the road doing this together and doing it well. So, yeah, I would like to think that I would hope the band would be happy with it. I know the folks that we've spoken with around them are very happy with it. Uh, and yes, there is definitely a degree of pride, at least from my standpoint, in that and feeling good about what you've created. We certainly don't expect the band to read it. Uh, I know that uh, Neil actually never even watched the excellent documentary, Beyond the Lighted Stage. Uh, as I said, they lived it, so they really don't want to waste their time, so to speak, reading about it. We did them a, a great service and put together the best products that we could. What instruments do you guys play? Yes, I, I play bass, uh, and I tinkered with playing drums badly for a few years there. But uh, I play bass guitar. I started playing toward the end of high school. Still kind of play in a little local cover band to this day. So, yeah, I very much enjoy it. I think I, it's a logical question to ask because I would suspect that there are a ton of Rush fans in particular that would also be at least amateur musicians. I played drums in high school, and it was, um, it was actually the drum solo on Exit Stage Left was one of the first uh, recordings of Rush that really caught my ear that Neil Peart was a unique drummer. You know, of course, that was 30 years ago, but now I, I'm a very, very, very horrible guitar player. I've been trying to teach myself, actually, for about 20 years. <laughs> 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 I think we're all horrible at guitar. Never as good as we think we are. Yeah. Skip Daly, Eric Hansen, writers of the book Rush, Wandering the Face of the Earth, the official Turing History 1968 to 2015, joins us beyond the mic. Tell us the story about the cover photo of the book. Yeah. Well, I could address that part, uh, lead into it. So we wanted to come up with a unique cover that alluded to their touring history. And I were so lucky to get Hugh Syme. Uh, we actually had a conference call, the three of us, throwing out some of our brainstorming. We wanted to have a highway, and I remember asking Hugh if there was some way we could do a road sign that like, maybe listed some different points coming up that were regular touring visits where the band had played. And he, he's brainstorming on the phone, and he started talking about the equipment boxes on the highway. It just rolled out from there. I mean, he really huge time came up with that image just on, I don't know. He, he, he came up with that after about three or four days after we had had that conversation. Now, where was the photo taken? Well, he, he took the photo of the road cases outside of uh, the Rush Back Cave in Toronto, which is where they keep all of their, the warehouse where they keep all of their road equipment. He had rolled those images out outside of the warehouse 
in the sunshine, taken that, and then added the backdrop later. Skip? We, yeah, we were very fortunate to kind of catch him, you know, as uh, fortune would, uh, would play out just a few days before he was heading up to Toronto to do some, some other work. So he kind of mentioned that, you know, this is good timing because I'm going to be up at the, uh, at the warehouse. And so it was really perfect timing to be able to capture that. But I agree. It, it's a, it's a striking image. And Eric and I are both proud to, um, have Hugh involved. It, it just felt right. You know, the guy who's done almost all of their album covers and all of their album covers since 1975, it, it was really, uh, great to have him put the cover on the book. He's such an interesting guy. I collaborated with him on a project years ago. And that was where we first met. He's just a really interesting guy, just the way his brain works and fun to uh, to throw ideas back and forth with. So, yeah, that, we were ecstatic to have him involved. You're so meticulous in the facts you present in the book. Is there an Easter egg in there, some inside joke that only you guys or the band will get? Uh, I, <laughs> Eric, I, I, don't, I can't think of any, although now I feel like we should make one up. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, we try to... Uh, you know, if you read the band's liner notes, if you've ever read their liner notes, they always uh, do things in threes. We try to uh, we try to use their same lingo here and there, so you might you might catch some some stuff like that. But we try to we try not to be fanboys. We try not to be too overly um, overbearing in our uh, rush fan fanaticism. We try to make it so that anybody can enjoy the book without. Without saying, geez, these guys are really, really going overboard on this stuff. You know, it's really, we try to be very factual, try to be very informative, uh, and very readable. We wanted you to be able to enjoy it as you read it. How hard was it? Yeah, I think one of their, I think one of the earliest conversations Eric and I had when we were discussing, you know, the tone of the book and what it should be, we were both very much in agreement that it shouldn't, we shouldn't impose ourselves into the story. It shouldn't be about us. I mean, there's enough that's interesting there in the story itself. And it's really not our story. So I think we were, it was good that we were just really on the same page about that. But, you know, in terms of Easter eggs, I mean, if you read the book in the right way and you look at every 21st character and you put it all together, it will lead you to the location of the Ark of the Covenant. I shouldn't (laughs) say that, but I'm just going to put it out there. Time's running out. So it's time for the rocking eight. First thing that comes to your mind, no pressure. Favorite and least favorite rush songs. Oh boy. (laughs) It's, that's, that's, for me, a point-in-time thing. You know, it changes based off of mood or what have I listened to recently versus what have I not heard in a while. So that's that's impossible to answer. I mean, The Analog Kid has always been one of my favorites. Uh, least favorite is maybe easier. Probably Neurotica off of Roll the Bones. That's one that I just could never really get into. The Spirit of Radio is by far my favorite song. Never gets old. I also... Skip and I have talked about this before. Neurotica is my least favorite Rush song. And there you go. Yeah. It goes on and on. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I go, goes goes without saying I love those guys to death, but I will say that song always felt to, to me in the choruses like Neil just found a rhyming dictionary. Fans will talk about Dog Ears or Tai Shan or Rivendell, but those are all better than Neurotica. Favorite meal on the road? I mean, I'm a big fan of sushi, so we'll go with that. I have to say an excellent burrito. One fact only your significant others know. Uh, let's keep it that way. <laughs> Eric, you? <laughs> uh, I can't even think of. I can't think of anything that uh, 
only my significant other would know. I can't think of it. Yeah, and, and usually there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. No one's prepared for the Rocky Nate. Favorite piece of Rush merchandise that you ran across in research for the book? Uh, gosh, do you mean like photographs of it or actual physical? Yeah, it could be like a ticket stub or anything. Oh, boy. I mean, I can't really think of anything concrete except for, and when you say merchandise, it's it's more like ads or information or something like that. I would say some of the, the ads that we recovered, uh, that we uncovered from the early days of when they were playing bars and such, like the, the, the newspaper clippings, um, a lot of which was like microfilm and, and we scanned it. Some, some of that stuff I, I found really cool just because it was, you know, hidden in the shelves of some library somewhere and you felt like you were really uncovering information that people hadn't had before. I, I, that was what in, appealed to me most probably. We also, we also found some, uh, we dug out some rare photos of the band backstage with the crew. Uh, those were very rare, you know, never before seen photos. We got those in the book. You know, the band was never really big on merchandising as far as actual merchandise, uh, rare, rare t-shirts. It wasn't until t-shirts were, uh, collectibles. It wasn't really until the later years that they released anything of collectible value beyond the, beyond the vinyl and the, uh, the recordings themselves, the rare pressings. Favorite thing you do when you're not working? Uh, for me, that would probably be, I mean, my, my two passions, really, uh, both of which I, I wish I could do more of. You know, music, I get to do that every week, so I'm always picking up my bass and doing that. And the other thing would be scuba diving, which I don't get to do as often, but that's something else I really love to do. Yeah, I'd say traveling, traveling and reading. I'm an avid reader, and I've, of course, listened to a lot of music. <laughs> okay, that ties into this. What's the last band other than Rush that you've been to a concert for? Oh, Phil Collins here in Denver. Very nice. For me, it was there's a, there's a newer band that I've gotten really into. That they only have like two records out, but I love them. It's a band called Lord Huron. Uh, they're really good. Now, since one of you is in D.C., the other is in Denver, where is the location where you got most of the work done? Uh, are you night riders or day riders? Definitely night riders. Yeah. And it was all, yeah, the work, all a lot of email conversations. Yeah. Yeah. We did a lot of work via email, and, and I definitely had to carve out time at night, you know, after getting the kids to bed and burn the midnight oil more times than I like to think about. So it was, it was more nighttime for me, too. Skip and I had, uh, we had one face to face conversation about this project, and it was eight years ago. <laughs> and at that time, at that time, we actually were nearing completion of our first draft. We actually had aspirations of, hey, possibly we could get this released to coincide with the next live album. Well, that was two live albums ago. Let's just say it got a little bit delayed and delayed, and here we are, eight years later, finally with the release in our hands. What's your favorite random fact about Rush? Only three guys doing all that sound. Not not necessarily a random fact, well-known fact, but it, it's still, it's amazing. Three guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good one. I, for me, I guess I go back to something Eric said at the beginning of the call about uh, how they seem like just genuinely decent people. And, and I love the fact that they are kind of creatures of long-term relationships, both in their personal lives and also with the road and the people they surround themselves with. with. I, I always really identified with that, just kind of, it's sort of like rooting for a sports team or being a fan of anybody that you admire. You always kind of hope that they aren't going to, let you down in some way and kind of paint the experience. These guys have never done that. You know, they just, they seem like they have good character. So I would say that. 
You told us that you left 400 pages on the floor. Any thoughts of an expanded edition? Yeah, we we we, we do have a, a lot of material that didn't make it in. Um, you know, I mean, some of it honestly probably didn't make it in for good reason, right? I mean, there's there's a prioritization to everything. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that we would like to have see light of day in some way, shape, or form. I don't know that I would refer to it as an expanded edition, uh, just because I don't know how we could sell that. <laughs> uh, but we have been speaking with them, and, and there is talk about what could we do for the second pressing um, to, to work some stuff in. And it might even be as simple as take some photos and swap a photo for another one. Um, and things like that, as well as, you know, obviously corrections and any information that comes to light in the intervening time. Um, so I don't know if I call it an expanded edition, but I, I do think it's definitely one of our goals to try to um, get some stuff in for the, the second uh, printing one. Skip Daly, Eric Hansen, writers of the book Rush, Wondering the Face of the Earth, the official Turing history, 1968 to 2015. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hey, thank I you. Really yeah, thanks for having us. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.